Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us once again for the Deep Dive podcast. Uh, got some fun stuff doing Ron the Builder 2.0 today after his comments last week. Just immediately after we released the last podcast about the Kraken's build, not a rebuild, a build, um, came out and, and made some comments. And so we kind of got to revisit it and, you know, kind of redo everything that we had said last week to some uh, point. So going to be doing that today. Uh, going to be talking about some fun stuff, including those uh, charity baskets from last week as well, because I think there's some fun things in there that we want to take a look at. We had a lot of fun kind of poking around. I think it'd be fun to do that with everybody. But first and foremost, RJ, we are recording this on Sunday, March 6th, so a day before everybody's going to hear it. And I bring that up because we did lose a member of the Kraken today. You had a great tweet about it earlier. Uh, I know you were just talking about us having some sort of tribute video, but we weren't able to quite get that done in time. Uh, I also don't think we needed all the Sarah McLaughlin music you were suggesting. It's not like he died, but Austin Zarnick is no longer a member of the Kraken. Yes, the man made his way back to the island one of a rare few who lived to tell the tale of his encounter with the mighty Kraken. Austin Zarnick has returned to the New York Islanders. Well, actually, probably the is it Bridgeport Sound Tigers still? They sent him down to the AHL. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Austin Zarnick back where the Kraken got him from uh, off waivers today. Yeah, sorry, no tribute video. We did not have the time. Uh, but you will be missed. I did enjoy him in his brief six-game stint with the Kraken. Um I liked having a player that was kind of around my size on the team. That was pretty cool. Uh, and again, love the hustle, love the work ethic, but he just, you know, was the odd man out. Yeah, it is unfortunate because I thought he played really, really well while he was here. I enjoyed watching him out there. Like you said, the hustle, the effort level, all that stuff. I just thought he, he brought a little something uh, during a losing streak, really, where the Kraken kind of needed it a lot. Like, um, so... Unfortunate, but it is the business of sports, especially in hockey, uh, and so it is what it is. Austin Zarnick gone, but not forgotten. See, now I'm on it too. See, it's again. He's not <laughs> dead. He's not dead. <laughs> All right, baskets, RJ. Do you, yes. Do you, do you like auctioned off charity baskets? I like them when they showcase someone's personality. Well, that's good. That's good because that's what these sure did. Uh, the NHL Seattle Foundation website, uh, they did a basket auction. Uh, I assume it was for the One Roof Foundation. Yes, that's uh, what yeah. it was for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It says on top of the page, NHL Seattle Foundation, which looks a little sketchy, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The website's kind of basic, but uh, it's, it's all good. It's all good. So. We don't need to go through all of these, RJ. You and I kind of already did, but there was some stuff that we did want to touch on. Um, gosh, I don't even know where to begin. I guess one of the things we should get out of the way first, we'll get the negative thing out of the way before we start having fun. Only two baskets failed to meet their fair market value list price. Mm -hmm. That was Coach Hackstall's and Coach McFarland's. Yeah, well, I mean... We've we've heard plenty about Hackstall from the you know from the fans this season. I think we kind of have an idea, you know, of what the thoughts might be on him there. Mm -hmm. Also, McFarland runs the power play. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, that's probably pretty pretty uh, good reason there. Um, 
the hackstall one especially kind of brutal off by like 700 bucks that's mm-hmm. that's kind of rough i will say all of these baskets ended up priced well out of my price range oh yeah <laughs> could really you know <laughs> empty my bank account to get one of these but uh you know it was still wasn't a bad one um Hackstall's basket as you go through it got you know four low bowl tickets to the game against vegas at climate pledge that's pretty cool some the thing that gets me is the three kraken titleist pro v1 golf balls now rj you and i golf occasionally you more than me three golf balls gonna last you what like eight holes <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> for you one or two holes but yeah, it won't last you very long. Yeah, so that one was a little weird. It's not like three boxes or three it'll sets of three. Until, yeah, it'll last you till the first hole where there's any water. It, exactly. Um, oh my gosh, and the, the course at my house, man. That that won't last anybody to get through nine holes at, at this course. That's for sure. Nope. Uh, let's see, some, some gift cards to some, you know, wineries or restaurants, all that kind of stuff. The, uh, my favorite though, is the box of Chipper's chocolate covered potato chips, mm-hmm. which I didn't know was a thing, chocolate covered potato chips, but that's pretty cool. I wonder yeah, how no, good I've, it is. I think tried them once or twice. They are actually pretty good. Yeah. I think that's good. And then, uh, You're not going to mention the skim board. Well, I was just going to say the big okay. item was the skim board. The Marshmallow Thrasher skim board. Uh, I think that's where the fair market value of the basket went up a bunch. Um, but I don't think people properly valued it, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I think that's probably where it where it kind of uh, the discrepancy arose. Yeah. Um, cheapest basket was from uh, the other assistant coach, Coach Jay Leach. And, um, I thought this one was a very good basket. I, you know, I get why maybe it was the cheapest one, but I thought there was some really good stuff in here, starting us off with the $50 Home Depot gift card. Hey, that's useful. You know, always going to need something from there. Yeah. I, I, I mean, he could have just made the whole thing, just a big Home Depot gift card. I'm sure that would have been beneficial to some people. I know it would have been for, for me right now as we're kind of redoing some stuff around my place, but, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. That that was cool. The the thing that I really kind of questioned was the Moleskin Classic Collection soft cover ruled notebook, because um, I don't know in the day and age of smartphones and stuff, how many people still use notebooks like that? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I always think of Bob Condor on the Kraken beat. Yeah. You know, he's more of an old timer. He's got his little paper notebook writing down the notes, uh, maybe hoping to get a a bid from him. But yeah, I, I don't know how many people are are using that. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I'm sure we have listeners that still like to do it, you know, pen and paper style. There's still plenty of stuff I like to do analog, but um, I don't. The thing with me with notebooks my entire life, I always got them because I was like, oh, I'll use this for whatever. And then I just never did. Like I have mountains. Yeah, they just sit off in the corner. Yeah. There's a bunch of them. All my good ones, all the cheap, like five cent ones I used all through college and school and everything. But any good notebook I ever had, I never felt like I had something worthy enough to put in it. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> it's, a, it's a problem. And then uh, plenty of coffee related stuff in there for Coach Leach. All right. Uh, do you have like a favorite player basket, RJ, you want to talk about? Ooh, you know, there are some really good ones. Um, well, here, should we talk about the most expensive one first and get that out of the way? Is that Grubauer? Was it, no, it was uh, no. Donskoy. Okay, let's talk about Donskoy. Because I was saying Grubauer might be my favorite, but let's talk about Donskoy. Yeah, Donskoy is 
by far, well, I guess not by far in a way the most expensive, but Grubauer and Donskoy is pretty above everybody else's. Donskoy ended up going for $11,200, so very much above the $2,000 fair market value. Uh, the theme for this basket was Happy Wife, Happy Life. Uh, and part of the basket includes, yeah, no. And part of the basket includes literally a sign that says "Happy Wife, Happy Life." But I think the <laughs> the real thing that sent this basket, uh, and I say basket very much loosely right now, because the thing that sent this basket, you know, well over the fair market value was the um, the custom pair of Kraken designed skis. Yeah, those look awesome. I mean, if you have. A chance to check it out on the auction page like really cool design for those skis i mean if you if you're going skiing with those you're you're gonna be you know the envy of everyone out there you know on the slopes those are uh, some pretty cool skis they are amazing i'll try to put in a picture of them for the uh the podcast for anybody you know looking on youtube watching us on youtube um they were amazing great design uh i think worthy of of sending this basket you know up to the top of the the leaderboard so to speak yep and other little things to you know happy wife happy life you, know, you got a gift certificate mm -hmm. for a spa massage a candle uh you know swarovski crystal bedazzled kraken cap that's the one i it's um it's something it's mm -hmm. it's maybe a little a little gaudy for me but i'm a man of simple pleasures <laughs> <laughs> like chocolate covered What's potato it? chips <laughs> yes there you go <laughs> all right so grubauer you're saying you think that one might be your favorite yeah i like the grubauer one because um you know it, it's like you got a favorite things and also um you know he wants to give like a fan a real fan experience which is cool it's got the lower bowl game tickets you know and a parking pass so he thought of that too mm -hmm. um it's got a, let's see, a $200 Kraken Team Store gift card. Mm -hmm. So you can just go to this game and, and absolutely go nuts. Um, got a lot of, uh, you know, different, you know, Kraken merch and stuff. But it also has um, a team-signed inaugural season jersey. I mean, that's ultimate, you know, thing to have for a fan. There, You could fr you should frame that. Don't wear it to the games. You know, yeah. frame that. I mean, that'd be really cool. And then um, some dog things as well. Um and some kids things too. Yeah, I was gonna say, not only do you get the two hundred dollar team store gift card, but you've got, you know, a kid's tea, a woman's tea, uh quarter zip for for a man. You've gotten got in addition to the team signed inaugural season jersey, you've got a Kraken Grubauer jersey signed mm -hmm. that you can wear to the game. And then just yeah, tons and tons of uh fun Kraken related stuff. But yes, I think the parking pass is definitely something that needs to be mentioned because I mean that's that's got to be worth what like four or five hundred dollars. Yeah, sure feels like it. Yeah, I I don't know how everyone does it as far as finding parking for the game and everything. Very lucky I live close to the arena. Yeah, and so uh, that one also worth mentioning. Thirty-two bids exactly. So mm. very very good. Perfect. Yeah, you can't you can't perfect. bid after that, right? I mean, you know, you can, you don't want to be the thirty-third there and mess that up. No. Now my favorite basket. Uh, was Jaden Schwartz, and that's because the theme of that basket was Dog's Day Out. So, it, you know, mm. yes, it's got the Kraken sign jersey, you know, all that kind of stuff, but then it's just, this is doggy heaven, man, looking at this basket. You got a mermaid squeaky plush dog toy, the collapsible water dish, three Kong squeaker balls, which both dogs we've got here 
absolutely love of varying sizes. One is only five and a half pounds. Um, and then it's just tons and tons of great stuff. You got a rib bone. You got a beef lung steak canine treat. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds amazing. <laughs> uh, four wild bones, elk, venison, ham, and rabbit. Like, there's just so much stuff in here. Uh, a big box of bio bags. So you can pick up after your dog after it, you know, stuffs its face with all this other good stuff. Like, it, it's it's absolutely great. A small batch of freeze-dried beef hearts, like, like oh my gosh afro would love this this basket so much yeah no it's certainly great for any any dog lover there and it really again shows kind of schwartz's personality you think he likes dogs <laughs> yeah just a little just a little i'm guessing here i think it's a shame only nine bids on this one i i gotta think there's more pet lovers out there dog lovers come on and then yeah. the uh, the grooming gift card but uh but yeah that one was that one was my favorite that being said, I will say, looking at the list of everything, Tanev sure does stick out with that giant bag of Sour Patch Kids. Mm-hmm. Yep, he's got the candy, too. What, Swedish Fish also? Mm-hmm. Um, a couple decks of playing cards. Yep. Well, <laughs> this is know. such a brand of tip. And then my favorite from this, though, a DVD of Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of an odd one that's just kind of thrown in with all this other stuff, but... Uh, I mean, it's a great movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can't go I against mean... that. Oh, Brandon Ted, I've got to love it. Yeah, it is pretty funny. Uh, Speaking someone... of baskets with some interesting personality, how about Morgan Geekies? Yeah, Morgan Geekies is very good. Obviously, uh, A, not really a basket because it's all right. put into this this nice backpack from Lululemon. Um <laughs> But yes, the, the Settlers of Catan game really stands out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the Times crossword book, mm-hmm. you know, it gives, I, I think, I feel like you don't have a lot of NHL players that would, that would include that in their basket. No. Not many. I mean, you know, Morgan Geeky, he's so interesting, you know, man of many talents. I saw on Instagram, he was playing the piano the other day. Um, yeah, yeah, just really interesting guy. Yeah, and a big fan of leaving his younger brother out of stuff too, uh, based on, based on if you look at it, the Instagram comments, Connor's always <laughs> in there giving him grief. It's it's good. Uh, got the bag of cheesies though to mm-hmm. go with that. Um, again, three golf balls. <laughs> it's, it's all, all right. And then um, uh, where where was the other thing I was gonna mention? Uh, no, I think that was it. But yeah, oh, not the oh, book. Oh well, the book is good. The uh, the subtle art of not giving an F by Mark Manson. That's that's another good book to go with your the Times crossword puzzle book. An art that Geeky has absolutely mastered, by the way. Yes, for sure, for sure. Clearly read that book uh, quite a few times. No, for me, it's the it's the it's the left golf glove that would do you and me nothing as we were both lefties. Yep. Unfortunately, would do us no good. Unfortunately. Yes, and I did see one person, and I'm going to say it, but I don't think that this is entirely fair. One person did point out on Twitter that I saw that um, the Jeremy Lauzon basket looks like it's in a little waste basket. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I just, some, I just And some people it. were talking about that, and I was just like, hmm. <laughs> not great. That being said, his basket, not bad. I'd, I'd take that foam roller and the cribbage set. Yep. Yeah, the cribbage set. How about that? 
that's that's a good one for some surprises but uh, i could certainly use the foam roller yeah so overall there is some good stuff uh they raised a ton of money for charity that's really what's most important about all this stuff but we thought we'd we'd kind of go through some of them there don't want to go through all of them we'd be here for the full hour but uh uh it's still fun yeah and just a good window into the players personalities too it's so fun it's like I'd encourage you, if you know, go on the website, go through all these baskets. There's some really interesting things that you're gonna find. Yeah, I'll put a I'll put a link in the YouTube yeah. description for the podcast, uh, a link to take you to the page so you can check them all out. All right, so RJ, as we get into the uh, deep dive section of this podcast, the the builds 2.0, mm-hmm. um, we're of course getting to this because, well, Ron Francis said some stuff. And uh, wasn't, you know, in some ways it was good that he was made available to you all, the media, um, because we got some idea of what the future could look like, but uh, it was not what we were expecting. So why don't you take us through the experience of getting Ron Francis, I believe for the first time for media availability for you and what that was like and what he said. Yeah. So this was the first time that, uh, I was there for a Ron Francis media availability. Uh, the last one that was, uh, you know, in person, everything was day one of training camp, which is the day before I became media. Uh, so this was a really cool experience and one that kind of came by surprise too. In the middle of practice, you know, they came up to us and like, yeah, you're getting Ron Francis after practice. And so I think a lot of us just kind of scrapped the questions we had for Hackstall and the players and were like, okay, this is more important. Um, so yeah, I mean, we got Ron Francis for immediate availability on his birthday, no less. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that was interesting as well. Um, and, you know, I, I did kind of, you know, have made fun of him in the past as far as, you know, his, his ability to say lots of things while saying nothing at all. Uh, but he actually did give us, you know, some information, certainly more than I thought he would. So credit to Ron there for, for being, you know, about as forthcoming as you can be as, a, as an NHL GM. Yeah, no, it was there was some good stuff in there. Like I said, we got a glimpse into what this offseason is going to look like for the Kraken. And that's not something that I think we thought we'd get. We were kind of counting on hearing the same line we've been getting all along, which is three to five year window. We're just looking to build this thing up right. You know, all that kind of stuff that you'd been saying all last offseason around the expansion draft through free agency into this season. Uh, the few times that he's, you know, been interviewed this season. But instead, we got something very different. Yeah, we did. And, um, you know, the way that this was framed, too, is kind of him making himself available before the trade deadline. And so mm-hmm. I figured that's probably what a lot of the conversation was going to be about. Uh, but he, you know, was there for over 20 minutes, just kind of taking questions on all different sorts of things, which was cool to see. And as you mentioned, you know, one of those was the offseason plans. Um, I mean, I, I kind of want to do just a quick rundown of basically, yeah, you know, what it. he talked about. Um, you know, as far as state of the team currently, he started out saying, it's obvious the way the season's gone, we're not going to make the playoffs. Yeah. So, you know, you've, you've got to make some trades, you got to do things like that at the trade deadline. Uh, you know, acknowledge that it's it hasn't been easy for the players, hasn't been easy for the coaches or the fans or anybody really um and you know as far as general state of the team stuff you know he also said that you know he really wishes that covid wasn't so prevalent this year Mm -hmm. uh because he wanted to see the players kind of get out in the community and and meet people and you know build a lot of those bridges that way and that they haven't had the chance to do that um you know as far as the trade deadline you know he talked about identifying core 
a core of players that you want to build around and then kind of taking offers for the non-core pieces, which, you know, that makes sense. That's kind of what teams do at the trade deadline. Now, he didn't rule out taking one of the trading one of those core pieces, but he said it would take something substantial to get that done. Um, he was asked, you know, picks or prospects. What are you looking for as far as a return? Basically just said, well, it depends what the picks are and who the prospects are. Uh, so, but he's like, yeah, those are generally the two things that, uh, you're looking to get back when you're a seller. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, he's absolutely interested in being a third party broker to sell cap space. If teams are interested in that, whether that's, you know, taking on a contract, uh, just for the remainder of this season, or whether it's retaining some money on players that are, you know, getting flipped to another team. Uh, so the Kraken will be in the market to do something like that. Yeah, really excited that he brought that up and mentioned that, because I know we've gotten questions about that, whether or not the Kraken are going to utilize their cap space that way. We've both had that question ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. It's something we've talked about in the past we've, you know, wanted them to do, because it's, you know, it's it's a way of basically getting a free draft pick or something. Exactly. It's it's a free asset. I mean, the only, you know, trade-off is that, you know, the owner has to pay for it. Yeah. You know, that's actual money that comes out of the owner's pocket. But, you know, he reiterated, you know, the ownership group has been great. Uh, they've, they've given us the green light to spend on the cap. So whatever you can do uh, to get assets to help the team, they're absolutely willing to do financially. So that's mm-hmm. a good sign. You know, good to have that strong ownership. Yeah, free um, very much in quotes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I talked to the ownership. Like, it's not free to me. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, but it, you know that's the kind of things that you you should be willing to do if you own an NHL team, mm-hmm. you know, to help out. Uh, certainly with a salary cap. Um, now, as far as players that could leave at the trade deadline, you know, we talked about the UFAs uh, potentially, and you know, he added he's had that conversation with Mark Giordano that had been reported previously. Uh, he's probably, you know, this is me talking now. He's probably out. He's probably gone. Um, <laughs> but as far as the other players, you know, you said he hasn't really had conversations with any of the other players at that point. Uh, I'm sure that's something that's coming, uh, you know, for some of the UFAs. And then I did, you know, kind of follow up and ask him, like, how important is it to have an idea of how likely a, a UFA is to stay before making that decision to trade them or not, you know, given that you're risking losing them for nothing. And, you know, as a lot of the answers, he said, you know, it depends. You know, it depends kind of what you think you know, the money is going to be for a guy if you're not certain. And, you know, it depends on what teams are are offering in return for that player. Uh, so, you know, no no real clear direction on that one way or another for, like, say, a Cali Yarncroak. <laughs> you know, it's just going to depend what teams are offering for him and, you know, if he thinks it's a good fit, uh, how close he is to maybe wanting to stay. Um, but he, you know, did add in general at the deadline, you know, the position that we're in, we have to listen to everything. And I'm sure he will be listening to everything. No, you know, very few moves are, are going to be off the table. Uh, you know, you, you got to listen to everything at, at this point. Yeah, you absolutely do. Uh, given your situation, just and, and given your situation with the amount of expiring contracts you have, like you exactly, I think it's important that they have, you know, internally identified the core that they are happy with and that they want to move forward with, um, because you, then you can try to plan around that as best you can. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a really, really interesting deadline, as we've been saying. You know, we've been waiting for this for so long now, <laughs> we've been talking about yeah. it so many times, and it's still a little ways away. Um, but it's going to be really interesting, and I think we're going to have a much better picture of you know, kind of what internally the Kraken feel about some of these guys and how some of these players feel about, you know, being in Seattle and being a member of the Kraken, 
right? I think that last quote kind of that you talked about gives us a good idea. If there is a UFA like a Cali Yarncroak and he doesn't get moved at the deadline, I don't necessarily think that would be because teams weren't interested in him. Certainly not, you know, given how hot he's been. That tells me that there's probably some room there for them to work out a contract for him to stay in Seattle longer. Exactly. If you see a guy like that that doesn't get moved, I mean, that tells you something about maybe his desire to potentially stay, because I think that would obviously be a pretty big mistake just to hang on to a guy like that and lose him for nothing in the offseason. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of get an indication of you know, how the players really feel. Obviously, you know, to the media and scrubs and everything, they're going to be, you know, I, I love it here. It's great. You know, I, I, you, you're going to say that. Um, but, you know, when it when it really comes down to it is deciding, you know, are you going to stay or are you going to go somewhere else? You know, it, it's there's a lot to consider there. Um, and then like, the other area that, that Francis covered was prospects, uh, you know, real quick, which I think, you know, was, was good to get some clarity on. Those guys, he said, uh, obviously, Matty Beniers, kind of the top prospect the Kraken are looking at. Uh, no conversations yet with him about, you know, whether he's going to join the team this season. Um, pressed Francis a little bit further, and I said, well, okay, what are you leaning a certain way as far as what you would want, given what's best for his development? And he said, you know, kind of turned it into the whole burning a year of the ELC. Like, well, you know, a player and their agent will probably want to burn the first year of the entry-level contract. Uh, and so that's what they probably want to do um and then uh, i think it was andy eyed from from sound of hockey just asked him straight up like okay well look do you want to burn the elc do you want him here <laughs> and he's like well uh no i mean you know obviously as a team you don't want to burn the elc that's you know what the team doesn't want um but that's kind of the what you have to do in this business you know of, of dealing with higher end prospects so i would still expect veneers to to play this season for the kraken that's what those answers kind of tell me like the fact that he immediately goes to, well, they're going to want this and this is what it's going to mean is kind of like his way of softening it up for the fan base of like, okay, understand he's going to come in, but it's going to cost a year off of his contract. Like he's basically already pre-explaining it to any, everybody. Exactly. And for these GM things, a lot of times you kind of have to read between the lines like that. You know, there's, there's certain things they'll say and, you know, you could kind of tell what it means if you've mm -hmm. heard enough of these. Uh, as far as other prospects, you know, he said the draft class in general is tracking really well. Um, you know, he mentioned, uh, you know, Ryan Winterton, who's doing really well uh, in the OHL. Uh, he mentioned Vile Ottavainen. He mentioned, uh, you know, a few other guys. So, but he seems happy with how the prospects are going. Um, and then finally, kind of what we've all been waiting for, the offseason comments. Uh, he did kind of get into what the team's strategy might be this offseason. Um, and I guess the biggest quote there is he said, our plan is simply to be aggressive again in free agency this summer. So that's huge. It's not something that we were really thinking was going to be the team's mm -hmm. direction. Certainly not, you know, in the podcast last week. Yeah, I figured it might be a, a longer term build. But Francis really didn't seem to be, you know, hinting at that at all. Um and, you know, another quote that kind of was lost in a different question, but I, it was at the very end of his answer was, I'm comfortable that we have the cap space and money to rectify this sooner. So, I mean, he was asked if he needed to kind of clear more cap space for what he mm -hmm. wanted to do this offseason. Um, and he said, no, I think we have enough. But, you know, to rectify this sooner, I think that kind of hints at, at what he's going at. Um, and, you know, so finally, I think it was the last question the presser, I just asked him, like, you had hinted at a you know three to five year timeline, longer timeline uh, for competing. Has 
the have the results of this season changed what that timeline is? Have they made you rethink any of that at all? Oh, and he said, well, you know, we we approached this wanting to be competitive, you know, from last season. I don't mm-hmm. think we, you know, necessarily, you know, thought that this was going to be, you know, longer build. But the first thing he talked about was that I thought we were aggressive in free agency. You look at the first 72 hours of free agency last off season, and, you know, we signed a few key guys and he's absolutely right in that. And he said, I, I think we want to look to do that again. So I think that gives you a real good indication of what he sees the team doing in free agency. You know, Grubauer, that was a big splash that they yeah. made and something that they didn't necessarily expect was going to be there, but they were aggressive is absolutely the right word for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, you know, if what he's saying is to be believed, they're going to go out and do something like that again this offseason. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting and we'll kind of get into that stuff now because, you know, last week we talked about, okay, what if they stick to the three to five year plan for the build, what does that look like? What is some of the stuff that they kind of have to hit along the way, the the, the, the kind of checkpoints? Um, if you're going to try to make this team competitive right away through free agency next year, I mean, there's a whole different set of stuff to talk about when it comes to that, both as far as, okay, what kind of players should they be targeting? Uh, just in general, we can talk about that first and then get more specific at looking at, you know, ahead to this year's free agent class. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's so much nuance when it comes to free agency the types of contracts that you sign the length the you know the term that you're giving players obviously trying to fit it all under the salary cap team does have plenty of cap space more is going to be available to them obviously you have all those expiring deals the big thing is you're going to have mark giordano's 6.75 coming off whenever you trade him now you're probably taking money back in that trade uh, potentially, you know, even a, a kind of a bad expiring contract from somebody just to maybe up the price there. Uh, but it's most likely going to be money that's coming off the books at the end of this season. I don't th- see them taking on a bad contract that's got, you know, three years of term left or something. Um, exactly. I think that full that full 6.75 is going to be off the books this offseason. Yeah. So you're going to they're going to be entering the offseason with, you know, well over $10 million in cap space regardless of what happens now obviously you got to re-sign some guys that we know they're going to re-sign jerry mccann is going to be re-signed uh we've all been thinking morgan geeky ryan donato gonna be re-signed and on the mccann front by the way i I, i'll give you a quote he said one way or the other we'll get something done with him moving forward so yeah mccann's staying don't worry about that yeah the only question is going to be is it going to be a bridge deal or is it going to be something long term Right. Um, and I think that's probably going to be a discussion for another day. We've, we already kind of talked about it some last week. We'd love for it to be something long term, given his age now to lock. Him yeah, that was the one like bit that. of that was the one bit of last week's podcast that actually remains relevant. Yeah, uh, the McCann bridge deal doesn't change very much. No, or the deal. I mean, yeah, 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 exactly. So I guess real quick, though, because we talked about uh, Cali. I want to go ahead and run through some of the other UFAs real quick and just kind of get our assessment, because like like we both agree if Yarn Croak's staying past the trade deadline, that means he's probably staying long-term because there's there's for sure a bunch of teams that would be interested in him. Do we think that that's going to be the same for Marcus Johansson, Riley Shahan, and Colin Blackwell? Because they're not quite the same level of Yarn Croak as far as ability to help a contending team and certainly not from a you know performance standpoint, productivity standpoint. Right, I... I certainly wouldn't put them in the same category as Yarn Croak as far as, you know, if they're staying, I think they're re-signing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd probably give it about a 50-50 uh, 
chance for any of the three of them. It's hard to know what exactly the trade market is for guys like that. Yarn Croak, it's kind of obvious given his recent play. Um, but a lot of those types of players, the Johansons, you know, the the Shayans, those can be kind of team situation and market dependent. And the other thing is I think, you know, as we saw or as I think we saw during the expansion draft, we can't know for sure. But it seems like Ron Francis sometimes would rather just not make a deal at all if his price isn't met, rather mm-hmm. than just taking something less than what he feels the player is worth. Right. Uh, and so I, I wonder how much we'll run into that at the trade deadline as well. And this isn't just a uniquely Ron Francis thing. Mm-hmm. We've even heard Brian uh, Brian Burke, you know, legendary GM, talk about that, that he would have that policy of basically if his price wasn't met, he's just not trading the guy, even if it means not getting a return because then otherwise other gms know that eventually you'll budge um so we might see that but i'd give it about a 50 50 shot on those players yeah you don't you don't want to set that precedent um i agree you know marcus johansson he was kind of a late free agent signing for the kraken so obviously there wasn't a big market for him when all he was going to cost was you know a one-year contract this last offseason um shahan he's bounced around from team to team year after year forever like that's just kind of who he is i love what he's done this year for the Kraken. My guess though, is that there's going to be too many centers next year to probably hang on to him. And again, I don't know that there's going to be a team looking to trade for him. Um, this, this exercise was largely just so if anybody had the question, you know, well, what about the other guys besides yard croak? Um, the one that's going to be interesting is Colin Blackwell because we're seeing it now. He's starting to heat up. He's finally healthy. He's finally feeling it. It looks like he's finally gotten into a groove into his rhythm and we're seeing how good he can be. The only question is, I don't know what kind of trade value he'll have given how hurt he was this year. You know what I mean? The limited viewing opportunities that other teams had. And then in between all those injuries, you know, there were certainly stretches where he wasn't himself. So I don't know what his value is. Yeah, if you take the season as a whole, I don't think there's a whole lot of value there. But if you look at how he's been playing recently, uh, which, again, teams should be doing, obviously, Mm -hmm. they should be scouting things like that right now. Um, I think he's certainly a guy who could help a playoff team as a depth player. Um, But, you know, how many teams are going to see that? How many teams are going to feel that, you know, that's exactly kind of what they need? And, you know, there's other guys from other teams that will be Mm -hmm. on the market, too. So it's really hard to gauge. But he's certainly someone that, you know, even if you're offered, you know, a a mid to late round pick for him, it, it might be worth hanging on to him just given how good of a fit he's been. Uh, and just see if you can re-sign him. That's what I was going to say. I think unless you're offered something pretty good for him, I would go ahead and keep him and try to re-sign him. Uh, I don't think his value is going to be that of a Cali Yarn Croaks. Um, and I don't think that the contract you're looking at giving him at the end of the year is going to be that of a Cali Yarn Croaks either. So I think it's probably a gamble worth you know doing um, to hold on to him through the deadline. Now, if someone wants to give you a second round pick for Colin Blackwell, I think you'd probably go for that. Take that. Take yeah. that any day. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know that that's going to be on the table. So uh, just wanted to kind of do those real quick because we had talked about Cali and I just think that that was uh, important in case anybody had any questions about anyone else. Those are our thoughts on them. All right. Free agency. <sighs> we have seen free agency go so sideways so fast for so many franchises, RJ. It is really, really scary. It is a very hard thing to get right um, because oftentimes, I mean, you know, the way all the CBAs are structured is that team control lasts for a very, very long time. Essentially, all of the prime years of a player, with the exception of maybe two or three 
Um, it's it's very much set up in favor of teams, you know, who draft somebody or acquire somebody when they're young. I understand why they did that. The CBA, right? Owners don't want to draft somebody and then immediately lose them to a richer franchise in the NHL. That is certainly something that you know could easily happen given the financials of some teams versus others. But at the same time, it does mean that come free agency time, you're looking at guys that, you know, at the absolute youngest are 27, and then you start looking at any sort of long-term deal and, and like, oh, the next thing you know, this contract's taken them till they're, you know, 34, 35, and you don't know what that return is going to be on that back end after you've now given them a ton of money. That's the big worry anyway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, free agency, you know, wrought with the... Uh... <laughs> With examples of, of what not to do and paying for past performance and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So let's go ahead and talk about um, some of those things, some of the things you and I have seen go wrong and uh, what we want the Kraken to kind of avoid when it comes to free agency first. Just stuff that should be a non-starter. The first thing for me that should be a non-starter is if the player's age starts with a three, don't sign him to anything longer than a three-year deal. Like that should be the absolute max. And that should be if they're young, if it's a young 30. Right. That should be, it's pretty much a hard and fast rule. Uh, You know, if, if the age starts with a three, you've got to be extra, extra careful. I mean, there are some very, very rare exceptions to that. Like a Joe Pavelski a few years Mm -hmm. ago, who somehow has, has been worth that contract. Um, But those guys are very few and far between. Yes. And the kind of examples I would cite as guys that are, you know, the, the poster children, uh, if 30-year-olds can be called children, um, for this would be the Brad Richards deal with the Rangers. And this was a guy who had been a number one center for a very long time, rock solid, but you know what? Just into his 30s, all of a sudden, you know, 12 years of playing NHL hockey catches up to you. And uh, there's not much that you can do at that point. And, And the productivity just falls off a cliff and you're stuck, you know, trying to deal with you know, in that case, they were scratching him. He was like one of their highest paid players, and he was literally a healthy scratch for him, for them uh, through some of that contract. The other one is everybody's favorite, Louis Erickson. <laughs> right? Yep. Uh, signs that big deal with Vancouver, six-year deal. Uh, that offseason, he turned 31 in there. Uh, immediately falls from a 30-goal scorer to an 11-goal scorer, and he has not scored more than 11 goals in a season since. And that was a very, very heavy, heavy contract. Six years, $36 million. That's a ton of money to be paying for 11 goals. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the Canucks were, were paying for that for a long time. You know, it hindered a lot of what they were able to do, you know, from a team construction standpoint. Yeah. And so there's, there's plenty of examples of players like that. So I just think if, it's, if, the, if they're already into their 30s, I don't care what they've done up until that point it's not going to continue for that much longer just because historically speaking, like you said, you know, of Pavelski may be an exception, true, true superstars, right? Sidney Crosby, he's still doing all right. He's what, 34 now, but you know, odds are anybody you're looking at in free agency is not going to be one of those guys. You know what I mean? And so yeah, I just, exactly. I just want that out there. I think that's the first and, and you know, biggest rule for the, uh, for the Kraken when you start looking at free agency. Yeah. 
And with that, I think it's important to also mention aging curves just in general. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's something you can you can look up. There's a lot of good research done as far as in general how player NHL players age. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's called an aging curve where you'll get, you know, kind of average performance based on age. And you can see that generally in a player's prime years are in the 22, 23, 24, you know, year old range. And when you hit 30 or so, particularly certain types of players, like, say, a scoring winger. You know, mm -hmm. scoring wingers really tend to drop off around 30, 31. Um, and that's something that, you know, happens pretty, you know, reliably on, you know, in the aggregate level. And you can you can pretty much count on that. And that's one of the reasons that free agency, you know, is is kind of so dangerous. Uh, agreed. Um, all right. So the next thing I want to talk about, because that that gets us out of the way of the, like the 30 year olds, but there's going to be some guys more so in their prime a couple years shy of 30 because there always is every year um this year you know Forsberg and uh Johnny Gaudreau come to mind and we'll get to them a little bit later um this is where one of the changes to one of the more recent CBAs assuming it's still there I did my best to confirm it before but uh good god it seems like these things change yearly is the seven-year maximum term that you can sign a free agent from another team to and this is something built in to, you know, cut down on cap circumvention where they were just hiding, attacking on all these years of players into their 40s so that they could lower the, the cap hit and all that uh, shady stuff that Lou Lamarillo invented. Um, <laughs> so it, it does help limit things because it means now if you, if you sign a 27-year-old or a 28-year-old, you're only looking at 35. So maybe maybe you only have two or three years on the back end of that deal where they're really not kind of worth the money you're giving them, uh, that free agency premium that you're paying them. And uh, to give an example of why that can be an okay thing, actually, is I'm going to use Zach Trize and Ryan Suter. Okay, so they both signed with the Minnesota Wild in 2012. It was a huge, huge deal free agency-wise. I remember that whole, where are they going? They kind of wanted to play together. They both end up going to Minnesota. Uh, both, I believe, kind of 27-28 right in there. Uh, we talked about this on the Red Glare podcast, so those of you that listen to that know kind of where I'm going. Um, they signed matching 13-year, $99 million deals. Okay, Everybody kind of knew 13-year deal for someone who's even 27, right? You're taking them to 40. Yeah, you're probably not seeing good value return those last, what, five years of that contract, really, at all. Uh, but what I do want to do is I want to highlight the first seven years of their contracts in Minnesota. Now, we talked about Ryan Suter on the Red Glare podcast. He was a great, steady defenseman for the Minnesota Wild up until the point where they bought him out which they bought them out, both of them, after nine seasons. So nine years into their 13-year uh, things. Minute Muncher, just solid. You can count on him. He was always going to take care of you. I, the first seven years, I think, worth it for Ryan Suter. You got that kind of number one-ish defenseman you were looking for. The question for me was Zach Parise because I was like, wow, that contract aged terribly for him. They obviously had to do the buyout. It's because he did the winger thing. And we'll talk about this with like your contract example we could talk about next um, of wingers are a little bit more dependent on the players around them. It's a little harder for them to just be the offensive, you know, kind of creator and stuff uh, in, an, in an offense. But when looking at the first seven years of Zach Parise's time in Minnesota really wasn't that bad. You'd be talking about the end of his contract at the age of 34 in 74 games. He scored 28 goals and 61 points. 
that is really not bad for a 34-year-old if you're talking about that being the last year of a contract, the second to the last year of a big free agent contract. Overall, he played 444 games in that time, scoring 167 goals and 336 points. So I think it it that to me proves I would not be scared if the Kraken signed a Forsberg or a Goudreau to a seven-year kind of max deal just because I think that for some of these guys, and again, I'm talking about a winger here, it can age okay. Yeah, it's certainly possible. And I guess that kind of you know transitions into my next point, where beware of the middle class. Mm-hmm. That's the issue. You have to make sure that that player that you're paying over that kind of term is a you know elite player, essentially. You have to make sure that that is you know, a true number one, if it's a winger, you know, a true number one winger rather than someone who's maybe a second line kind of guy or, you know, this middle class of forwards. And that's where we see a lot of problems uh, pop up. You mentioned Louis Erickson already. That's an example of a winger who, you know, while he's, uh, you know, was, was a very good player, you know, 30 goal scorer. He was never kind of an elite, you know, first line winger type of guy. And when, you know, when you have guys that are signed, you know, to big money and big term like that, Milan Lucic was another, there were so many examples from that There's year, a lot, Andrew yeah. Ladd, Kyle Lukposo, um, you know, that year really, you know, provided the example for what not to do of these guys who were, you know, not at that elite level, but still got money and term. That's where you run into problems. I think, and teams are still doing it too. It's not like they've mm-hmm. learned their lesson. I mean, we look at uh, the Zach Hyman contract from this past year. You know, while it's too early to, again to see how that's going to age exactly, I think you know we can all kind of see it. It might not age all that well, yeah. uh, given that you have a winger that plays that style of game. Definitely not an elite guy. But that's really the point with free agency, where you know it's you get a lot of really bad deals paying for bad performance and overall it's just this minefield of mistakes, but the exceptions are those players who are good enough, who are truly superstar players that are worth that money. And if you can get them at that 27, 28 year old age range, they can work out for you. I I totally agree. And I think, you know, some teams have kind of flirted with this idea and I know it's something that the players union was very worried about uh, kind of during the last CBA talks, which was, okay, there's going to be kind of two distinct classes of players and that middle class isn't going to exist anymore where it's going to be the superstars are going to make their money that they deserve and all that stuff because they're the best players. And then teams are just going to round out the teams around them with cheap either entry-level contracts or depth players on cheaper deals. And they were going to try to kind of squeeze out that middle class because that is those were the contracts that were weighing down teams too much. Right. It's it's it is okay in a world of let's see, what's what's the cap at right now? Eighty one point five. It's okay mm-hmm. when you have eighty one point five million dollars in cap space to, to pay your number one center eleven million dollars. It's okay, because if he's a true number one center, you're you know, that's probably he's probably worth more to you. But that's kind of more so where the market is. That's totally fine. But what you can't do is load him up with two six million dollar wingers on his wing that are gonna max out at twenty five goals. Right. Because now you've got 12 million on guys that are, you know, they're okay, but you could probably stick some entry level guys on this true number one center's wing and they're going to score 20 goals. So, you know what I mean? Is it is it worth paying an extra maybe eight million dollars combined 
for those 10 extra goals a season? Probably not. That's not good value. And we've seen teams really get burned by that. A lot of the teams that have tried to build their way through free agency, that's where they get burned because they enter off seasons with, you know, a lot of cap space, $20 million in cap space, and they feel this need to spend it all. But there's not Mm -hmm. always that many players that are worth it. And so that's the one thing I'm worried about with the Kraken is that they're going to enter this offseason potentially, you know, upwards of 15 million even, depending on how things shake out. In cap space, you don't have to spend it all. It's okay to leave some of that on the table if the contracts just don't make sense. Right. And the cap space, it goes quickly too. Mm -hmm. You know, you talk about the amount they have. That's really, you know, signing two, you know, kind of premier free agents. I, I went... Uh, using uh, Cap Friendly's Armchair GM tool the other day, signed all the RFAs like McCann and such that they're going to resign, you know, anyway. And I went and signed, you know, just for example, like Philip Forsberg to a contract mm-hmm. just under nine mil AAV. And I signed another guy who's kind of been rumored, uh, you know, in 32 Thoughts, Elliot Friedman thought he might be a good fit for the crack. And John Klingberg, you know, signed him for maybe the eight million AAV that he's looking at. And all of a sudden the Kraken are $4 million over the cap. So that money goes very quickly. And you know, they could they could move a few guys to make that work, but still, I mean that that it's it's not a lot. It's it's always uh less than it looks like certainly when you start getting into paying big free agent prices. Yeah. So in, in my opinion, they probably only have the ability to truly go after one whale and mm-hmm. and that's kind of going to be it. And you know, I don't know that that's going to be the case given some of the you know, contracts we've already seen Ron Francis sign in free agency, right? They were the three big ones when he made that big splash. And, uh, you know, obviously we could talk about Grubauer. I don't think 5.9 for a goalie is necessarily too much, it, you know, for a goaltender with a long proven track record the way he had. Obviously things have not worked out that great. You could also argue that it was a little bit too much term for a 30-year-old. I would, I would totally, you know, cede that part of an argument to you. But the money wasn't ridiculous to me. Um, but then you start looking, the Jaden Schwartz contract. Jaden Schwartz, 28, 29. Uh, you're signing him to term five and a half a year, 5.5 a year. Again, that's that mid-level contract for, again, a mid-level guy who had an extensive injury history previously, mm-hmm. mind you. And we saw that kind of play out this year, too. I I don't know. I, that one was an interesting one. And then the Wenberg contract, which might be the worst looking one of all right now at the time it seemed great because you're signing him at 27 to with only three years term like you're you're out when he's 30 like that's that's all the stuff we were just talking about that's a dream the fact that a gm was able to pull that contract off you know what i mean Wenberg probably mm-hmm. get a new agent <laughs> but it, he just hasn't played out or worked out at all i know there was hopes that he could slide into the top six center role that hasn't been the case i mean he's looked rough you know centering the fourth line right now so uh, i don't say this to be negative i'm not i'm really not trying to be negative but already given the free agent choices that ron francis has made with the kraken i am dubious about what kinds of decisions are going to be made this upcoming offseason exactly and that's kind of what i was thinking as he was saying that too you know talking about using this last offseason as an example for what they want to do again we want to do the same things. We want to be aggressive again. When you look at those three free agent signings and those 
you could argue are probably the three biggest mistakes that they made in this past off season. Um, and again, you know, you hate to talk that way about, you know, players that are still on the team. I think, you know what I think about paying goalies and Grubauer. I'm yep. even willing to kind of, you know, throw that one out there because I think goalies are always just a separate category, free yep. agent otherwise. But you look at Schwartz and you look at Wenberg, and those are two contracts that are very firmly in those middle class of players that, you know, you have to be wary of. And I think both of those have been good examples of why you should be wary of those contracts. You know, Jaden Schwartz, you, you look at the term left. He's got four more years after this one, you know, for a player who's, generally pretty injury prone. And if you look at aging curves should be on the decline, you know, now, if not soon. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, Wenberg, that's even though he's 27, you're getting those prime years. When you're talking about a free agent who's 27, you know, even on the younger end, he's someone that I think the Kraken were hoping would step up to play a bigger role than he had in the past. Someone mm -hmm. that would develop, you know, into a top six forward, as Ron Francis said at the start of the season. And generally, when a player's 27, that's what they are. You're generally not going to get a whole lot more development from that point on. It can happen sometimes, but it's very, very rare, and you certainly can't count on it. Uh, for sure. You you can't. And I'm just going to kind of just to put it in perspective for everybody real quick as I pull up all the pages that I need. Um, <laughs> the combined cap hits of Wenberg and Jaden Schwartz assuming I'm doing the math right, which is a big assumption, $10 million every year. Yep. Because it's four and a half plus five and a half. All right. I'm off to a good start though. Right. <laughs> For that $10 million against the cap that you're paying this year, you have so far received 11 goals from them combined and 44 points. Okay. Now, would you rather pay both of them for that production, or would you rather pay $10 million per year, which would be maybe a little bit of an overpayment for Philip Forsberg, who has 27 goals and 46 points all by himself right now, and who could really have stepped up in some key moments when the Kraken would have needed him, and played well on the power play probably, and all that kind of stuff, and just provide star power, which is an important aspect of it all. I mean, that helps put butts in seats. I do think it makes a difference. I think it makes a difference on the ice for some guys too, when they feel like they're playing with somebody who has that ability. I think that can help you know, kind of raise the ability of everyone around them. So that's just kind of an example of, you know, these mid-tier contracts, they can add up quick, like you said, and they can add up to essentially just equal a superstar. But but when you get when you split that production amongst multiple people, I mean, you could be paying somebody very little to be getting the, you know, six goals that you've gotten out of Jared McCann or the five goals you've gotten out of Wenberg. Exactly. Hey, Jaden Schwartz, yeah. Jaden, um, that's what I meant. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you... You could easily do that. And, you know, you talk about it's split over two players. Okay, you talk about a Forsberg and then, you know, add someone for near league minimum salary. And we look at the players the Kraken were able to get late in free agency, you know, that essentially no one wanted. Ryan Donato, you know, Marcus Johansson. Those are the guys, you know, that you're adding one of in addition to the superstar. And they can contribute for you as well. And mm -hmm. oftentimes do almost as good. Yeah, Johansson, six goals, 20 points right in there with those guys. For yep. a lot, lot less, a lot less and no term. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So um, that's just kind of an example there. All right. Let's look ahead to this year's free agent class then, RJ. Uh, mm -hmm. I just talked about him. Philip Forsberg. I think he's probably the biggest get in this free agent class, in my opinion. I would agree. Okay. Uh, I think number two has got to be Johnny Gaudreau. Again, he's somebody who is going to put up 
you know, a substantial amount of numbers, uh, going to help out on your power play, like kind of just be that superstar go-to guy that the Kraken clearly need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, those are, you know, when you talk about scoring wingers, cause that's probably the Kraken's number one thing that they're missing this season are finisher scoring wingers. Mm-hmm. You've got that really good pair in Forsberg and Gaudreau. Um, and, and there's really no one else, you know, it's a big drop off, uh, you know, kind of before you get to number three, really. Um, and yeah, th- those are the two guys. Um, they, they play a little different style wise, you know, stylistically there, there's yeah. some differences there, you know, you could argue which one would be a better fit for the Kraken. Um, I don't know, Dylan, I mean, you're kind of the X's and O's guys. Do you have an idea there? Well, in some ways, I, I want to say Johnny Goudreau just because I love what he can do to create offense. We've seen him do it against the Kraken, the way he just finds little pockets to set himself up in, the way he can, you know, dish it as well as just, you know, score himself. Uh, but realistically, I don't know who he'd play well with on this Kraken team. Like, I don't think him and Jared McCann would really be a good pairing. Uh, I think McCann would work a lot better with a fellow shooter in Philip Forsberg. Just two guys that are just, they just want to skate into the zone and launch it. And I feel like that's something that um, would work out better for the Kraken, given who they have. I just don't know that the creativity side of things has played out very well for the Kraken this year. So I don't know that Goudreau is really the direction you want to go there. Yeah, no, I, I I think that's probably, I think, I think you're right on that. Um, I, yeah, I tend to defer to your judgment on these things anyway, Mm -hmm. but uh, that's kind of what I was thinking, you know, in the first place, you know, and for these two guys though, I, I keep having the question in my mind of, are these two truly at that elite level? Oh, you know I mean? Are they unquestionably good enough that they can kind of poke their heads above that middle class and mm-hmm. and be the superstars that you're going to need them to be if you sign into a contract like this. Because I know there have been players in the past that teams have thought, you know, we're above that level, uh, you know, that we're, we're at the superstar level, you can afford to pay them, and then they just weren't that. Right. Yeah, no, they, there's for sure been guys like that. Um, in my opinion, most of those guys tend to be the, the, the David Clarksons of the world, right? They tend to be more of the power forward where you're paying to try to bring in, you're, you're paying not so much because of the, you know, productivity that they've had in the past, as much as the body that they bring and maybe the skill set that they bring, because you're paying for leadership and grit and toughness, the Luchiches, right? Mm-hmm. don't ever don't ever that's that should be rule number three don't ever pay somebody because of how big they are or what they can bring from a gritty perspective uh because unless it's gritty it's not going to pay off for you gritty <laughs> i think you could probably make your money back if you were to somehow uh, acquire him uh, just in merchandising but it, those never work out if you're paying somebody because they're a 30 goal scorer those tend to work out because they can you know if they've if they've got a long track record of being a 30 goal scorer philip forsberg the last couple times he's played full seasons, 30 goal scorer, been well on 30 goal pace in the seasons in which he's been injured. He clearly is just a 30 goal scorer in the NHL. That's just who he is. You know he's going to be that. And he's probably, you know, looking at some of the other examples like a Prize that we talked about earlier, that's not going to disappear overnight when he turns 30 in three years. Mm-hmm. So I think Forsberg, you're safe. Johnny Goudreau, again, you're safe. He's just smart. He's so smart about how he plays. He's going to be one of these guys that, yes, he's not the biggest guy out there. And and sure, when his speed drops off, that's gonna he's going to have to adjust how he plays the game. But we've seen other smart guys that, you know, even if they weren't reliant on speed, 
when they slow down, they're so smart, they can adjust and make those adjustments and just take advantage of other players because they just know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Any young guy they're going up against cannot match their ability to just outthink them. And I think Gaudreau's going to be one of those guys where he's going to be productive. He might not be a 25-plus goal scorer towards the end of a seven-year contract if you were to sign him to one, but my guess is he's he's going to be a lock for 50 assists really for the next you know seven years or so. And the ups and downs with Gaudreau don't concern you as far as, because you look at the last two seasons before this one, he kind of fell well below the point per game pace. You know, I think the team around him just wasn't doing as well. Obviously the flames weren't in the best position, but you know, are the Kraken really in the best position right now? That's, that's just one worry that I have. And that is a worry. I think that that's an appropriate question to be asking. It doesn't worry me because I think of the positions that yes those flames teams were they were terrible um obviously everybody really suffered and fell off a cliff there it wasn't just him all of their good players really did um so i i'm not as worried i understand the concerns given the kraken situation for sure uh but but even still i mean you're talking about 60 points in you know 58 points in 70 games one year and 49 points in 56 games last year that'd still make him the best player on this kraken team like, yeah, like that's, easy. you know, that's true. So, yeah. And it's, and it's not so much again, right away, you know, it's that you're worried about. I think certainly he can continue to be that player. Um, but yeah, as you said, you know, these guys probably will age. Okay. You yeah. Would hope. Yeah. You never know. And injuries can come in. Like I said, Philip Forsberg has not played a full season in a hot minute. Like that is something to consider. Mm-hmm. We saw that with Jaden Schwartz that, it, you know, injury histories are something. Um, so you know, it is something to look at, but uh, I think those are the two big names. I'd love for the Kraken to get one of them. That'd be really nice. That being said, it's it's kind of a shallow free agency class. These guys are going to get bid up. I don't want them to, you know, pay twelve million for either one of them. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, talking about you know numbers, how how high would you be willing to go? You're in Ron Francis's chair. You know, there's other teams bidding. How high do you go on either of these two guys? I think I go up to 10 for Forsberg. I really try not to, but I think it's that important to bring someone in. One of the things we didn't really talk about, and part of the reason we were both speculating that Ron Francis did you know, speak with the media, was because of the Seattle Times article written about how you know the team has underperformed and could they be losing the city of Seattle and stuff. And one of the things that was brought up was season ticket holders had to buy season tickets for the first three seasons. Right. It's not like, yeah, at least. So it's not just like season ticket holders had to eat it this year while the team was bad. Like they really need to turn this thing around. And like I said, one of the best ways to turn things around is to bring in a legitimate superstar, a pull you out of your seat kind of player. And we've seen that in these games against Nashville. Philip Forsberg can be that. So I think if I'm in Ron Francis's shoes, I'm thinking I'm thinking about that. I'm consciously aware of that fact. And so that's why I would go up to 10 for Forsberg. It might not be the best, okay. like, on-paper hockey decision, but I think that, you know, it isn't ever just about that. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It never is just about that. And I think you bring up something very important to talk about that we probably should have talked about earlier. Uh, but the context behind, you know, this whole media availability, and it was something that was, you know, kind of a surprise to us. You know, I do wonder how long it had been, you know, planned in advance. My guess is not very long. Um but uh, yeah, that Seattle Times article came out basically about how the Kraken are at risk of kind of losing the city and, you know, if they don't turn it around quickly. And, you know, we've we've talked about 
you know, that question mm -hmm. quite a bit, you know, on the various post games podcasts that we've done. And it's certainly something that's, you know, on the minds of some people. And while Francis or, you know, an ownership would never admit it, you know, that's just not something you ever talk about. Um, I, I think there really is some pressure on Fran Francis from ownership to turn this thing around quickly. And he was certainly talking like a guy who one felt the pressure, mm -hmm. you know, knew that his man, you know, mandate was you need to go out and compete next year. Like, like he had been told that it, you know, yeah. it seemed like, and, you know, two that, um, you know, that, that he was trying to get that message out there and get it out there right now and right away mm -hmm. so that fans know, look, we're going to be competitive next season. You know, he said a lot of things that, you know, reading between the lines, it felt like, okay, write this, you know, media, write this down, let people know we're going to go compete right away. We're going to be aggressive in free agency. Let the people know that, that, they need to stay tuned for next season. Uh, so I think that's definitely the position that Francis is working from. Yeah. So because of that, I think I go up to 10 for Forsberg, Goudreau, maybe eight and a half, maybe nine, if that's absolutely what it took. But I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Forsberg, the number I was thinking, and this is in the whole Ron Francis desperation thing would be nine and a half. Mm -hmm. um, I look at some of the, I think, is that, I think that's what Kucherov got. I know it's what Mark Stone got. Mm -hmm. Um and while I don't think that, that Forsberg is at that level, you know, it's he's a UFA. Those are the prices you have to pay. And I think, I don't know, some team might go 10. Uh, yeah. I, I do think, you know, there there's probably might be teams out there that'll go 10 on him. I think the Predators, you know, will go, you know, they might they might offer nine. I, I think they mm -hmm. want to pay him less than Yossi from what I'm hearing. But um, you know, that's probably what it would take for him to stay in Nashville. Goudreau, I you know, I I would not like to go over nine. Mm -hmm. You know, it's tough because, you know, if I'm a GM who just has total freedom to run things my way, I'm not, I'm not signing either of these two guys. I'm just not going to do it. You know, I mean, unless it's, you know, you're talking in the eights mm -hmm. and then you can go, okay, that's a good deal for me. But, you know, with free agent prices, I'm generally for a winger hesitant to ever go there. Mm -hmm. But in Ron Francis's shoes, trying to save my job. Yeah. I'd, I'd probably go nine for Goudreau, nine and a half for Forsberg. Yeah, I, I think that's appropriate. So let's kind of quickly, because we're, we're going a little over the hour mark already, but I think that it's important. Let's go ahead and just touch on some other names um, real quick. How, how you feeling about Hurdle? You, you know that I, I love Tomas Hurdle. Absolutely mm -hmm. love Tomas Hurdle. And I would, um, you know, I, I would put aside, you know, whatever the numbers or any of that thing to see him in Seattle just from how much I would enjoy covering him day to day on the team. Um, you know, he's a fantastic player. Uh, you know, he can play center, which is huge. You know, he is a center. Um, I don't think he necessarily fits what the Kraken need. Um, you know, because they're going to have plenty of centers. We mm -hmm. talked about this already. They're going to be so deep down the middle. I mean, Hurdle can play wing for you. You know, that's certainly something he can do. Um, but I just don't know that he's the best fit. The one thing, I don't know, the one potential thing is maybe having played in San Jose this whole time and on a bad Sharks team recently, he'll be, uh, you know, undervalued per perhaps by the rest of the league, fly under the radar a little bit. Certainly, I mean, you know, for the same money, if you, or if you yeah. get him cheaper than a Forsberg or Goudreau, I think, yeah, I, I think he could be a really good bargain signing. I mean, certainly, you know, if you could get him at, at less than eight and a half. Right. Well, that's what I wanted to bring up was in 55 games this year, he's got 22 goals and 42 points. That's that's pretty close to the two guys that we were just talking about. But, you know, Hurdle is going to command a much lesser price, despite being a center. 
which normally yep. that would mean a lot, but you just know the thing that I was going to mention from him is yeah, just his personality, uh, always happy, all that stuff. And I think that would be important to add to this Kraken team coming off of, you know, a disappointing season. I think he'd be good for the culture, uh, in the Kraken locker room and stuff. And like I said, you're talking about very similar production to those two other guys that we said, you know, would be worth a lot. So had to mention him. Um, you mentioned Klinberg, which I think is a very interesting one because I just don't know that I want to see the Kraken invest that much on defensemen this offseason, considering how many they've had all year long. Agreed. I, I really would prefer to see them spend that money elsewhere. Klingberg, while he could be a good fit systematically, uh, Jack mm-hmm. Hahn uh, on Twitter, you know, did did a really good breakdown, you know, kind of of you know, why Klingberg has fallen off in Dallas the last couple of years and how mm-hmm. the systems has a lot to do with it. I think he would be a good fit in Seattle. But, you know, when you talk about, you know, the aging curves, when you talk about, you know, where you're going to spend your money, I I just don't think that, um, you know, that that's where you want to put that money because he's going to command, I think, you know, $8 million plus uh, given, you know, what the free agent D market is. You look at these top guys, there's not a whole lot out there. No. You know, I think Chris Letang's probably, you know, staying in Pittsburgh. He's not going anywhere. And then Klingberg's probably going to be the top UFA defenseman, you know, maybe a Hampus Lindholm. But you, you, it, it's tough. These guys are going to probably get overpaid. You know, he's 29. You're talking about, you know, if, yeah. if he gets that seven-year deal, you're talking about definitely having some years at the end of that that you're going to be regretting at the time. Um, so I, I would prefer that they not go there. Uh, I agree. I think, you know, you'd probably help the power play, but I, I don't know that the price would be worth it, given how much he'd help the power play. I think they need to really focus on forwards. Hampus Lindholm was going to be the other guy I mentioned. He's Adam Larson, guys. He might be actually Adam Larson, but a little bit better, realistically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that would be my call for Hampus Lindholm. I'd love to see him with the Kraken, but again, I don't know that it makes sense. I don't know that they need him, really, because... Uh, they have enough defensemen already on the roster. They're all pretty reasonably priced. You're not spending a ton on this blue line. And I feel like a lot of their problems this year are very fixable. A lot of it can be changed with some coaching and just, you know, getting them to not make basic mistakes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we talked about this so many times. It's not skill deficiency. It's just simple things, very coachable things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the issue, really. I think they've got all the skill that they need on the blue line. Yeah. Now, uh, one last name I'm going to mention here, RJ, because I'm on a spot rack looking at the unrestricted free agents. How about a Claude Julian? As as a coach? I, he's just on here under the UFAs. 62 mm-hmm. years old, player uh, position listed as coach, but uh, just, just kind of got to mention that because I see that name there. But yeah... Um, so many of the other top free agent guys are centers that like I would talk yeah. about. Like, I think there's some really good ones, some, some underrated guys, but I don't know that it works for the Kraken. I think we could probably wait and do a deeper dive into really everybody in free agency where we can kind of get into, you know, the Max Domi's Nino Niederreiter kind of, you know, peoples of the yeah. world. Um, but we won't do that here. Cause this was more so just about like the general overview uh, for what we, you know, should expect and maybe want uh, heading into this first off season of the build. <laughs> now that we know it's going to include being aggressive in free agency. Yep, so the quick build. <laughs> yep. The quick, the quick build. 
Um, all right, so that's going to do it for this podcast. I guess the one other thing, Krakadoos-wise, we didn't talk about was Mark Giordano, 1,000 games played last night for us. That's really awesome. It's going to be cool that, uh, you know, about 50 of those are going to be with the Seattle Kraken. Mm-hmm. And that he gets the, you know, reaches that milestone with the Kraken. Yeah. Cool to have someone pass that threshold, you know, with the team, making some history already. And, you know, good for Gio. Undrafted guy coming into the league. Huge accomplishment for him. Yeah, if anybody saw that graphic, that awesome graphic Root had put up at the beginning of that game to show how rare it is for, A, just people in general to get to 1,000 games, how few of them, how few defensemen get to 1,000 games, and then when you start factoring in the fact that he was undrafted, it just becomes, you know, incredible. Tenth defenseman ever to be undrafted and get to a thousand games that is very elite company speaks a lot about the kind of guy he is both on and off the ice to be able to do that so really happy for the captain just wanted to mention that real quick and then uh that's that's gonna be it for this episode of the deep dive hope everybody enjoyed it as always we appreciate it you know all the support from everybody everybody listening to it and uh we're going to see you all next time 